Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed and went to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we, uh, we submit to you this morning. Lord, we are in deep need of your word. Lord, we're in deep need of your um, speaking to us. You're leading us to yourself. And um, Lord, wherever we are, whether we know you, uh, have known you for years, or, or do not know you at all, Lord, we, we pray that you would uh, not leave us unchanged. Lord, that you would lead us uh, to yourself this morning. And um, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I'm Matt Avery, the pastor here at Midtown West. Um, thankful y'all are here this morning. And uh, I want to start with this idea. I don't know if y'all have heard this, but I noticed, especially in Nashville, but in, in these days, like sort of Eastern, what I would call like rope in a, a big um, category of like Eastern mysticism is kind of on the rise, is, is like really in vogue um, in our culture. And that's, you know, kind of the more spiritual yoga and chakra and energies and things like that. And um, recently was, um, I can tell you a story another time, but I uh, got to take part in something called sound bathing. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that, but it was, it was actually really cool. And I, I slept through the whole thing, but um, the instructor said uh, something to the effect of, you know, we are made of stardust. Like we are made of the same things that stars are made of. And that's not the first time I've heard that. That's like the 50th time I've heard that. And that, you know, that and other thoughts like that are, are shared as like these big epiphanies and these like really encouraging um, statements. But if you stop and think about it, like that's not, that's not really that encouraging. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But this statement, like we are made of stardust, um, I, I've found this quote from someone who's described as a planetary scientist and stardust expert. They say it's 100% true. Nearly <laughs> the end, and it, that's the end of the article. Um, any other questions? None? Okay. Nearly all the material making up the human body were created in stars that have gone through supernova or gone supernova. I guess it's like going rogue. I don't know what that means. But um, they say that's 100% true. And, and I started thinking about this just um, 
you know, now, even if you, if you hear about like um, the new atheists and like the new humanists and the new materialists, which kind of by definition is there is no God, there's no supernatural, there's still like a spirituality now in those groups. And, and, um, and it made me think, I, I found this Albert Einstein quote, there's this famous infamous letter that he wrote that describes some of his spirituality. And, and he says in this letter, we have to admire in humility the beautiful harmony of the structure of the world as far as we can grasp it, and that's all. Like there's something reassuring about just the spirituality of seeing the perfection in nature, seeing the way that the world is made up of mathematics and science and, and all of this together, and we can just stop and, and appreciate that. And then he went on to say, um, you know, some people say he was atheist, some people say he was a pantheist, that God is in everything. And, um, but he said in the same letter that the idea of a personal God was naive and childish. And, um, and so anyway, all, all this, where, where we're going with all this is, um, you know, it gets to this question that, that John Calvin asked years and years ago, which is what, what good does it do to know a God with which you have nothing to do? What good does it do to know about a God or to know about a God-like supernatural force that you have no interaction with? Is that comforting? Is that encouraging? Um, does that give us anything? And, and I would argue that it, it doesn't and that um, a lot of this stuff is just standing on the shoulders of borrowed capital um, because what is implied in all of this is that there's some personal force moving that makes any of this make sense. When I talk about being made of stardust, um, that's not an encouraging truth. Like things like that can sound really cool until my life absolutely falls apart. And when I'm diagnosed with stage four cancer or my children die in a horrific accident um, or my spouse leaves me, then all of a sudden being made of stardust isn't that encouraging. Um, and at this point, all of this reality is actually terrifyingly cold and empty. And so um, we just have to ask, like stop there and ask of all of these things, um, what good, what is good about a God who would make beings who have this innate longing and desire for a relationship with him and then not ever intend to fulfill that? That is, that's not a good God, that's cruel. Or, or what, if, what if he doesn't wanna satisfy that longing or he's not able to, then he would not be ultimate, he would not be supreme, he would cease to be God at all. Um, and we would have to look for a higher deity. But um, all of this, all this religion and spirituality um, that doesn't end with relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, um, it just comes up short. But here's the thing that we also have to remember that um, our God is living and active and he uses everything, all, any and all means to draw people to himself from all corners of the world. And so there is, there is nothing that our God cannot use to draw people to himself. Um, and that's where we're going today. Um, this, this series that we're doing, this Advent series is called Let Every Heart Prepare in Room. We sang that line from Joy to the World earlier. And it's this idea that um, Advent means coming. It's the season where we celebrate Jesus's first coming to us. Um, and then we, we are also looking forward to Jesus's second coming when he will come as conquering king to put all things right and make everything new um, and fulfill all the longings of our hearts. 
But in the interim, in between these two comings, Jesus is always coming to you and to me. He is always coming to us every day, all the time, multiple ways. And so the question for us is, is not just how are we awaiting Jesus' second coming, but how are we receiving him now? How are our hearts preparing him room now as he is coming to us today? And so last week we were in this passage um, and some other verses looking at um, Herod and, and the idea is that we're looking at these people who are, are preparing or not preparing to receive Jesus in his first coming to see ourselves and to identify in that and, and to learn, okay, how do I receive Jesus now? Um, and so today we're talking about the wise men or um, the magi as they're called. Um, and so we're going to just start with, with answering the question, who are they? These, these mysterious figures. Um, and we're going to start in verse one. And first we have to say, before we even talk about what a magi is um, or a mage, I guess, first they were people who were spiritually awake. Um, what does that mean? It means that's someone in whom the Holy Spirit is already working to draw them to himself. Uh, there, is, there is present in them and in everyone who's spiritually awake an honest searching for God. I know that there's something out there. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm, I'm looking. I, I desire to know and then to submit to whoever this God is. And so there's a difference. We're going to stop there and say there's a difference between um, being generally spiritual and being spiritually awake. Being spiritually awake is someone who is honestly searching for God because the Holy Spirit's already working. To someone, there's a lot of vague spirituality that's actually um, a way to keep God at a distance. Um, so what we're talking about is the work of the Holy Spirit in a person. Romans 3, 10, and 11 says this, no one is righteous, no one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And then Jesus says in John 6, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So it's this idea that um, left to our own devices in our sin and separation from God, we're not going looking for him. We may be going looking for spiritual ways to make life work, but we're not going to look for the real living God um, until the Holy Spirit does something in us and begins to open our eyes and draw us to himself because he's already looking for us. And so... Um, God does what he does here. He speaks to people through any and all means, through dreams, visions, events, natural events, supernatural events, conversations with other people um, in his word. But he always uses all of these means to lead people to worshiping Jesus through his word. The end is worship. The end is intimacy with this God who created us through his son. And so, um, so second, who, what does it mean to be a magi? <laughs> or a wise, a wise man, uh, means they play Dungeons and Dragons a lot. No, uh, it is a priestly cast of Eastern astrologers. They were uh, Persian, Babylonian, then Persian. Um, the Greeks and Romans associated uh, these Persian Babylonian magi with magical powers, with dream interpretation and prediction of the future. And there's actually precedent for this a few times in scripture. First, um, you remember uh, in Egypt when God gave Moses these signs to give Pharaoh and says, hey, turn that staff, you'll be able to turn that staff into a snake. And then uh, Pharaoh had court magicians who were actually able to do the same thing. And then in Daniel, um, you have these kind of Babylonian wise men or magi um, and then in Acts 19, we learn about uh, sorcerers too that were out there kind of doing wild things. And so um, I don't know about all of that, all the details and the ins and outs of the, the powers that these people were manifesting seemingly apart from God. Um, 
that's not what we're talking about today. But the idea is that these people have kind of been in and around. Um, and so here are some now. And so the, the question is, how do these guys um, get to be looking for a star? And that's what we see in verse two. They said, we saw the star when it arose. And that's what um, prompted them to load up and head to Jerusalem, which was a very like long, arduous trip. And so um, in Daniel chapter two, verse 48, uh, we see this is probably where the seed was planted. Um, God's people were taken into captivity in Babylon and Daniel was one of these people and God had given him these abilities to interpret dreams, uh, to interpret visions. He gave him a, a wisdom beyond the average person's wisdom, an exceptional wisdom. And so when he had successfully interpreted the, the dream of the Babylonian king and none of his wise men or, or magi could do it, then he made Daniel, put Daniel in charge of all of this group of people. And so Daniel, no doubt, who loves God is bringing God's word to these people. And so now we probably have this, uh, it, now that we've trickled through the years, long after the days of Daniel, we probably have this strange mix of uh, prophetic words from God, from God's word mixed with these sort of traditional practices of these magic men. Um, and who knows exa exactly what that was like. Um, but in any event, they were looking for this star. And here's here is a, a verse from Numbers that they probably had. And many, many theologians believe this is what they're working off of. Numbers 24, 17 says this. Um, this was a, a prophecy about one who would come many, many, many years down the road. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and it shall crush the forehead of Moab. Um, so it's just this, this mixed bag of like, who are these guys? And these guys are undoubtedly practicing things like divination that the Lord strictly forbade his people to practice. So you have these guys that are far away from God's people that are doing things that God forbade his people to do. And yet now their hearts are open and they're looking for the one who is coming. They are looking for the king. And so that is, that is how they, <laughs> they find themselves here in the presence of, of the court of uh, the kingdom of Israel. And so now in these next few verses, uh, verses three through eight, you see um, the ways in which God is drawing them is not, they're not complete until they receive the word uh, because they go to Herod and they say, we don't know from here. We, we know generally like what we have brought us here. Um, but now where is the one who is born King of the Jews? And what does Herod do? I mean, Herod doesn't care. <laughs> And, uh, and the, the people in his court don't seem to care either. But what they did was they went and they got the word of God and they searched it. And they found Micah 5.2 that said, the one who is coming, who's born king of the Jews is gonna be born in Bethlehem. And so, so the word, all of these supernatural signs and wonders lead them to the word of God, which leads them to Jesus. And so there they go. And they're, they're gone to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. And the end of all their searching, the end of all this communication, um, the last few verses of our passage is this interaction, this relationship between the living God and humans. It is um, it said that the, the star, this whatever this thing was, I don't know if it was an actual star or some kind of like celestial event, but whatever it was, this thing was not normal. This thing was not a, a typical star. This thing uh, from the text was moving. 
And like when they were in Jerusalem from there, the, the six miles south to uh, Bethlehem, the star somehow guided them to the specific house where Jesus lived with his family. And what happened when they saw that is what happens um, every time we are communicated to undoubtedly by the God of the universe is verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It is just like the um, Matthew, when he writes this, cannot overemphasize how much they were filled with joy. Like this is like nothing they'd ever experienced before that the God of the universe is speaking to me. As I am watching this thing, he has led us across the world. He has led us across this land on this long trek and we get to this kingdom we've never been to before. And we find this man and we say, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? And they pull out, this book, these writings and these old scrolls that are God's word and say it's in Bethlehem. And then when we go to Bethlehem and look, this, this supernatural light is leading us to the very house that we know where to go to see this one who has been born King of the Jews. And so it's this exceeding joy, this rejoicing with exceeding joy. I mean, it makes me think about um, coming to faith. Like I, I came to faith halfway through college and I will never forget that because there was a moment for me when I knew that finally, I knew that the God of the universe was personal and communicating with me specifically. And I've never experienced anything like that. It, it is the thrill. It is the, the rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. It is fear and awe and wonder and everything. It is all of it. And that is what we were made for. That is the doorway into um, this life that we were made for is, is knowing this living God um, who is not like um, this vague spiritual force, but he is personal and he is good and he is, he is love and he is wise and he is powerful and he will come for his people. So all these means that God used to lead these men to Jesus um, ended in worship. Um, giving themselves in worship to the one that they didn't know, but that they knew, you know? And, and think about that, like when, when you, if, if you're somebody who's in Christ, when you came to faith, it's like, you don't know who he is. <laughs> like you've just met him, but you know, like your heart is so full. It's like, yes, this is, this is the one I've been searching for. Um, this is the one who's been searching for me. This is it. And, and if, yeah, it makes me think about what a, a friend of mine said recently who I would put in the category of being spiritually awake. Um, he said, you know, as I've thought and thought about ultimate things, God and who he is and, and what's out there and what it's all like and what it's all about. Um, and then when he and I started walking through scripture together, he said, when I started reading scripture with you, it was like someone had read my journal. All the thoughts that I had had about what this had to be like we're lining up with what the Bible said is truth about who God is and who we are and what we were made for. And so there's this, this coming together um, through God's word, all of this culminating in God's word leading us to worship Jesus. And if it doesn't, then it, you know, as, as amazing it is to think about a star that is moving and leading people to a specific place. If it doesn't end in worship of Jesus, then it, all of it has come up short because everything south of that is meaningless. It is ultimately meaningless. It, it does not comfort, it does not encourage, it does not give us life. 
No, the one who is more concerned about men and women than, than peaceful naturescapes, um, he, he is communicating with his people because he is good, he is loving, he is powerful, um, and he doesn't pretend that there's not a massive problem keeping people from him. Um, it is not this vague spirituality that if we can quiet and calm ourselves enough, then, then we'll achieve this zen. Um, it's no, no, no. Your, your heart is desperately wicked and sick and something has to be done. And I'm, I'm glad to do what has to be done because I love you. Um, John 1.18 says this, no one has ever seen God, but, but Jesus uh, through his life and his actions has made him known. Um, no one has ever seen God until they see Jesus and see that he is holy, see that he is good, see that he is loving, see that he is all wise. He is, is everything that we desire. He is the ultimate exemplary um, manifestation of all perfections. And he uses all of that to go and carry our burdens on his back and suffer on our behalf so that we can have relationship with him. Because the God who created all this is not content to just wind it up and walk away. He has made us, he has made all of this to have relationship with him. Just like we see him, this play out in, in the life of these wise men, um, it is playing out here in our lives. And so, so that's where we're gonna, we're gonna end here with um, this. What does this mean? What does this mean for us, this story? Um, well, for one, it means that Jesus is always speaking to us and leading us into deeper worship. He is using all kinds of ways, but ultimately and supremely, he is using his word. Um, and so do we experience this? Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. It reads us like a book so that we can be in relationship with him. And in Luke 24.27, Jesus says all of it, the Old Testament, New Testament from start to finish is about me. It's so that you can know me and have a relationship with me. And so I think some of us get to a place, I know I've been there where it's like, you're kind of like growing weary of the word and like, man, I wish you would speak to me either again, or maybe for the first time through some kind of wild supernatural means, but um, don't lose sight of this, that the God of the universe has, has put a lot of emphasis on this. Um, and it is, it is no less supernatural than any other means that he'd speak to us. Um, it is living and active. And he has said, um, I, it doesn't limit him. It doesn't mean that he's not gonna use other means, but he has said, um, this is my preferred method of speaking to you now. And so, because I'm not God and he is, um, this is where I'm gonna primarily go to find who he is and to have communion with him. And, and for those of us who've been walking with him for a long time, I know I find myself in this place sometimes too. There is, there really, maybe hasn't been uh, many of those times that have felt like such a thrill as the first time of knowing that the God of the universe is speaking to me. But um, as I was thinking about that this week and praying about that, it made me think about um, my marriage to Lee. It made me think about um, that moment, that thrill of knowing God for the first time and knowing that we are having a relationship um, is like those first moments in dating of like, I can't believe she said yes to go out with me. I can, you know, like the first time you hold a hand or the first time you kiss, which wasn't until we were long after we were married. <laughs> but you just think about, I mean, think about that. And then like in, in marriage, you go, you know, like those same moments of thrill, C.S. Lewis talks about that. And he says, look, I mean, you wouldn't be able to survive if your whole life was like a, a constantly crescendoing thrill after thrill like that. 
Like you can't even do life like that. But I think about like in my marriage and in my relationship with God, it's no different. Um, the depth and the maturity and the intimacy that's there now is not the same like just wild thrill that you're jumping up and down about every second of every day, but I would never trade what those are now to what they were at the beginning because it's so much more now, it's so much deeper. And so, you know, be, um, be encouraged in that. And then if no one is too far off, if we see God use any and all means to bring these men to himself and bring us to himself, then um, how does that change or challenge how we're engaging with people who are far from him? Um, I want to read you this, this prophecy around uh, this event. Isaiah 60, 1 through 6 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Lift your eyes and see. This is God talking to his people. They all gather together. They come to you. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. At what? The wealth of the nations coming to you, bringing gold and frankincense and bringing good news, the praises of the Lord. You shall thrill and exult because you're seeing people from everywhere coming to know me and worship me. That is part of the way that God is coming to us and thrilling us with his presence and his relationship with us is using us to draw other men and women in to his kingdom and seeing the light come on and seeing people go from death to life and seeing people know the God of the universe that they were made for this relationship with. And God is saying, this is a gift for you too. And think about this. Um, it should challenge the way we, we limit God and his working. Because if all this was going on back then, listen to what Joel, this prophecy from Joel says in Joel 2. It shall come to pass afterward, after Jesus has died, buried, and resurrected, and sending his Holy Spirit to all of his people. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It makes me think of what we were talking about with Denise up here with Nice. It's like, um, this is the joy is that God is drawing people from everywhere to be his sons and daughters. And we get to be a part of this um, as, as Jesus is continuing to come to us. And so um, if you are here finally as someone who is spiritually awakened, um, just know that this is not an accident, um, that the Lord is, is talking to you. Um, he has brought you here and uh, he will continue to bring you to himself through his word. And so this place is a place that he will do that because this is where his spirit and his word and his people come together. And that is, that is how we know him. Um, and so if you don't have anyone in your life to help you walk that road of, of exploration, um, ask me, ask Nick, ask any of us, um, and we will we'll help you. Let me pray for us. Father, you are, you are so huge. Um, you are so beyond our grasp, Lord. You tell us about yourself and your word. And um, Lord, too often we forget and we begin to paint you with a, a very boring and bland brush um, because we are the ones, not you, who have limited creativity. Um, so Lord, would you, would you speak to us and continue to speak to us today, this week, and remind us that you are the living God. You are the God who who bends and moves all creation to draw your people to yourself through any and all means, and especially through your word. Lord, and so um, 
would you awaken our hearts, Lord, for those of us who would be um, slumbering and have cold and tired hearts, would you wake us up? Lord, would you remind us of who you are, Lord, that you are living and active, um, and would you help us to meet you in your word um, and in prayer and with your people and through, through <laughs> these means that you have given us, these means of grace to know you and grow in you. Lord, would you give us right expectations? Would you give us right desires when it comes to meeting with you and knowing you? Um, and Father, for those uh, who are here who do not yet know you, um, I pray that you would just continue to draw them to yourself and you'd make it so clear that the God of the universe who has made all things um, is speaking to them. Lord, thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for speaking to us. Um, we love you and we long to, to know you and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.